that sounds good. I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I'm like, should we have gotten crazier? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We can get pretty crazy, so it's okay. It's okay that we were calm. No, yeah. I think no, I think it definitely was reflective. I think your first question threw me for a mm-hmm. oh, now wait now. Welcome to the Integrated Care Podcast from the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. I am the production editor and one of your hosts, Grace Pratt, and I am joined by a group of powerful women who I admire and respect. We miss you, Naftali, but also it's kind of fun to have the, I texted the team this morning and said, Female Power Hour podcast coming up. So I'm really excited to be here, you know, continuing with our theme. If you look back over the last several years around this time of year, I like to do a little bit of a holiday theme. And this this month, we're going to be talking about kind of holiday wishes from the Integrated Care Podcast. Uh, so we'll get to that in a minute. But first, we are going to start with our introductions and our icebreaker question. And the question that I have for my co-hosts today is, do you consider yourself to be a good gift giver or not? And why? So we're going to go around the circle from my perspective, and to my left, we have Bridget Beachy. Yeah, my name is Bridget, and I'm a licensed clinical psychologist by trade, work as a BHC, director of behavioral health, consultant, lots of fun things, all things integrated care, largely working in primary care, but, you know, I've been known to venture into different settings as well. Uh, As far as being a good gift giver, that is such a good question. I feel like in some ways, yes. And then other ways I kind of get a little bit uh, lazy, but I feel like I deliver. So it might be like, not the most like, so like, for instance, my sister-in-law, she's always giving like customized, like she got me a blanket the one year and it had like my name etched in it with my college number and like, you know, just really like thoughtful or uh, my other sister-in-law, she got Dave and I, I think she took like a photo of our back then it was our new house we've been in there for seven and a half years but at the time she took a photo of that and then like got some type of artist to make a watercolor of the house and then it wrote on it like first home established in 2016 and it has I think it has our names on it or something and you know just like adorable gifts you're not going to probably get too many adorable gifts from me but are you going to get a $200 Fitbit mom yes you are you know, like with Dave and I, are we going to get each other a trip to somewhere? Absolutely. Uh, and then I like to sh- uh, close shop. Uh, so one of the family traditions that we've been doing is we get like we take family photos. But uh, because we have so much production stuff at our house from our PCBH corners, we have like the light uh, that you like pull up like a like a like a studio. <laughs> and so we have it in front of the Christmas tree and a light. And then like I'll go and buy everybody kind of like not completely matching clothes, but like similar theme from like uh, the normal brand, which is a, one of my favorite online, really comfortable uh, clothes. It's just called the normal brand. Uh, and so I'll get stuff like that. So you're going to get a good gift from me, but is it going to be customized with like something personal? Probably not. So I, I'm, seeing, I'm sensing a theme, less sentimental, more like to the point, which feels very... <laughs> Bridget to me. Very <laughs> sentimental gifts sound good from the sister-in-law. I need to be a sister-in-law. 
because she's giving some good gifts. I know. I know both on both sides. I'm like my brother's wife and then uh, Dave's brother's wife. They're they're They like crush it with that stuff. I was like, oh, I would have never in a million years thought to give you a picture frame with something cute etched in it. Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, you just heard her voice, but next around the circle is Monica Harrison. Hello, everyone. Monica Harrison um, with the AIMS Center, licensed clinical social worker, clinical trainer, and practice coach for all things integrated care. Um, I do not think I'm a good gift giver. It feels stressful to me. Like, I want to participate in the name exchange and you know, all of that, like, I want to do all of that stuff. Um, I think there's one that's called like the white elephant, like, ah. but it is stressful for me because I'm like, well, what can the person just tell me what they want? Like, just tell me what you want and I can go get that. Having to be like, okay, now six months ago, they needed a coffee warmer that one day. So, Ooh, let me get a cup. I just, it's stressful to me. So I am not a good, good gift giver. Now, if I pick your name and you told me what you want, you're going to get what you asked for. You may get a very nice gift card, but if you want it to be like sentimental and thoughtful and like, oh, she listens to me. I am not your girl. Please don't have me pick your name. So gift giving is not my forte, but I love receiving gifts. I do. Uh, but it is, it's not my, it's not my lane. It is not my lane. But there is something to be said for giving people what they ask for, because there are people that you ask them for something, and they're going to give you something totally different because they think they know better. But you you believe people when they tell you what they want. That's I believe them when they say <laughs> I want blah, blah, blah. But then I'm like, sometimes I have friends that will like, I had a friend send me the every day you can open something and it's the Grinch because my friends that know me know like Christmas is really not my thing. And so they send me Grinch stuff sporadically, but it's like, okay, like, Oh, she knows me. Oh, that's so funny. She sent this to me. It's a connection. It's thoughtful. It's funny. I would never. Okay. So, so far two okay. people know. What about you, Jen Thomas? Are you a good gift giver? And who uh, are you? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Jerry's still out. Jen Thomas, family and addiction medicine, Morris hospital, Morris, Illinois. Um, I'd say it depends. Like, um, my hubby, I always have good intentions, but like, if I do close, it's always not going to fit. <laughs> just like, I just gave up on that whole, like picking something out for you. Um, I'd say like staff, we have a fun tradition where we providers give the medical assistants and reception staff a gift of a Christmas party. Like we just go out for pizza. Um, we rent out a little room, um, at this, uh, Giordano's pizza in Manuka, Illinois. And we just kind of embrace the goofiness. Like we'll do a white elephant, but everybody brings something you know, 10 bucks or less, or some people bring like a gag gift, which is really fun just to, you know, open up the, hey, here's a, you know, golf putting thing you can use on the toilet. I mean, just gross, silly dunk like that, where you're like, oh, it's embarrassing that I got the, the gag gift. But it's fun just to kind of laugh and, you know, connect with, with people and friends at work. So I think on that score, yes, I would call that a decent gift for coworkers. Hopefully they don't think it's <laughs> terrible. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of a yes and no for me. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for all for introducing yourself. As I said at the beginning, I'm Grace Pratt. Um, I am behavioral medicine faculty at Integrity's Great Plains Family Medicine in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And it depends a little bit on what kind of bandwidth I have at the moment. But, and it also depends a little bit on the person because you have someone like 
my child, whose only request for Christmas this year is a human-sized hamster ball. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> and if you don't give me anything else to work with, I don't know what to do. But I get him the hamster try. ball. Come on now. I guess, but like, yeah. oh my gosh. I, my house is not that big, guys. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Um, but then I did start earlier this year keeping a note in my phone just with people's names. And when something comes to me, and I I the I, I made an error, I'll tell you in a second. But when something comes to me, I stick it on that list, either something they love or their favorite thing, or like. Oh, they said they needed, like you said, Monica, six months ago, they said they needed such and such. So I'll stick it in there. Um, and that has made my Christmas shopping a lot easier. But the error that I made is I didn't put myself on the list. And so everyone's like, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, so anyway, highly recommend that because my memory is trash. If I don't write something down, I will not remember it. In fact, it's thank goodness that Jen texted me this morning because this is not our usual recording time. She was like, I'm running late. I was like, oh, apparently I am too. <laughs> um, so if I don't write it down, it doesn't happen. So that's my tip. Keep a note in your phone. Well, I was going to say you're really organized. Oh. Way to be organized, Grace. <laughs> I will take that compliment, even if it's not entirely true. <laughs> <laughs> um well I am so glad to be joined by all of you this morning and I'm really excited for our show continuing with our kind of holiday season tradition I do want to say that I am really excited about the next year of the podcast we are moving into 2024 this year is our 30th annual meeting of the CFHA conference and there's a lot of really exciting things planned around that anniversary and just honoring the history of where we've been at every level of the organization. But also we have some really fun things that we're looking forward to for the podcast that will be coming through just in your regular feed. Keep your eyes out um, that that's going to be coming soon. But now I'm going to roll us into our main show for today. So like I said, you know, I, I recommend you look back at the last few years of holiday episodes. We did one that was on the gifts of integrated care. Last year, we talked about boundaries because nothing brings out boundary violations and boundary needs like the holiday season and being around our families. But I was thinking this morning, um, just about like the kind of the, the wishes that I have. I I've, started getting my first few holiday cards, uh, which is always a treat to see uh, my friends and my loved ones and and to have their pictures. And I always hang them up around the house during the whole holiday season. And it made me think about the things that we wish for each other all the time, but especially at this time of year. Um, so I was thinking about light and peace and hope. And so I want to frame our discussion today around those things. Um, and so kind of the first question that I have for us and and I think, you know, this is also a time of year we could bridge a little bit of personal and professional, um, but it's it's getting dark in Oklahoma. I think it's dark in other places, too. I thought we were maybe done with daylight savings time, but apparently not. Or within, I want to keep daylight savings time personally. I mean, perpetually. That's my personal wish. Uh, but in the meantime... It's real dark, real early here, and it's the time of the year that it's a crunch on everyone. Um, but I was just wondering about light. What's been giving you light lately? I would say my children, um, in particularly right now, my 11-year-old preparing to audition for the City Choir, which is a big to-do, but listening to him, like just listening to him, like really trying to 
hone the craft with his voice. And um, there is this part of him that gets really anxious about auditioning for things. And so sometimes he'll like count himself out. So I actually was just thinking about that this morning as I heard him practicing before he went to school um, without having to be told by your mother, let me add, um, of just like, huh, okay, he really is enjoying this and sounds great. And I hear him correcting himself and just realizing that he is getting older and taking on, like kind of taking this on himself, his own ownership, instead of me going, you need to practice and don't forget to practice and let's, you know, all of this. Um, so that brings me light to see him in that lens um, that I don't always stop long enough to to kind of soak in, so. And how brave of him to go out and audition for that, even when it's not maybe his you know it's it's a little nervous but to do it yeah. anyway that's awesome Monica it makes me think of um my kiddos and the performing we're on the other end of the spectrum my little two are eight and ten and they just did their church Christmas program Sunday and to say it's the loving you know crooked halo um people get their lines wrong but it's precious right because it's the little ones kind of getting together and doing a tradition um yeah they've had the same like play or script for like 10 years in our church so my big two um, love to, they have the whole thing memorized because they've been in it since, you know, they were, it was like eight years running and they were, you know, star number three or cow number two. So they can like quote the whole thing, but it's just neat to see like their tradition of that, like the torches passed to the little kids. And even if they, you know, watch their lines and they're, you know, sharp when they're singing, it's still cute. And it's neat to just kind of have that, um, you know, tradition come around um, every year. And it definitely felt like a lightness um, spirit Sunday, but I agree with you, the dark times this time of year with the, you know, the time change and uh, the winter blues, like that's a real thing. So hanging on to those, you know, light moments for sure. Yeah, we got uh, some, some good stuff going over here in Washington. Uh, my parents bought a house. They'd been out here for four years renting. And the housing market, you know, just like everywhere is crazy. And, you know, we come from Pittsburgh where the housing market is very disparate. You know, you can get a lot more in Pittsburgh than you can in Washington, blah, blah, blah. After a lot of decisions, we decided to basically in, help them invest in a situation. And uh, they are moving in as we speak and they will be officially out of their rental December 27th. So they're making in, they're making their way over every day because the current house is in the same place that we all are in right now. So um, the new house is only five and a half minutes from where I live. And it's only like three or four minutes from where they've been renting. Uh, so uh, that's really awesome for them to be able to put down roots of kind of a dream house. Uh, and, um, you know, they're, they're still very, yeah, I, I feel like spry physically, mentally, uh, but they just hit that 65, 66 retirement age. So it's just a, it's an interesting transition for them, but I'm really glad to be a part of that. And I'm really glad that they're staying in Washington uh, because having family, they're the only family that Dave and I have within however many thousand of miles. The next closest is Arizona. So um, that's been a really big thing. And then on a fun light note, uh, so, you know, we have our little red boo that we, uh, you know, took home in January of 2023, our bearded dragon. And so she got a little bit of taste of the tree. She liked to like climb it when we were uh, taking it down and she was real little at the time. So we didn't know if she would like remember the tree or what she would think of the tree, uh, but she's obsessed with it. And uh, she just really wants to climb in it. 
and uh she was like trying to get up the base finally like if you just give her a little bit of help and she could get her claws right where it's a fake tree but like right where you know you can start like being able to dig your claws in she can climb up it really facile and then she'll go out on the branches and she'll just sit there for like hours we have to be careful because it gets cold uh but we try to put her by the fireplace within like five minutes she's like back in the tree so we're like okay we gotta like limit the tree time because they're they're cold blooded (laughs) and it gets a little bit chilly when you're not in front of the fireplace and you're in the tree but that's just been uh super fun to see her uh get you know a bearded dragon get so fixated on an object of just like she's like I have to get in that tree very interesting yeah she's your elf (laughs) bearded dragon on the shelf I was thinking the same thing it's like up on the shelf she's in the tree where is she today in the tree yeah I'm going to be posting a lot more photos on social Seriously. media with yeah. this with this lizard in the tree in case anybody tried, wants to check terrible. it out. Yep, give her a little hat and, you know, little props like they do for the kids with the mm-hmm. <laughs> little outfit or, you know. of things in the tree, something that's bringing me light is not alive. <laughs> um, but one of our favorite Christmas traditions, we don't have an elf at our house. A lot of families do the elf on the shelf. Um, but years ago, someone gifted me something they found at a, a craft fair, and it's a little felted mouse in a little felted hammock that goes in the tree. And the story of the mouse <clears throat> is that it um, lived in the tree, or yeah, and it, it noticed everyone kind of being busy, getting ready for the holidays and, and making preparations, and it started to, it wanted to help. And so it, at nighttime, when everyone's asleep, it looks for little things it can do to be helpful because no one is too small to help. And then it falls asleep doing its helpful thing. And so the kids find it and put it to sleep back in its hammock in the tree. And it's just very sweet. And um, they were so excited to get it back out and to have that tradition again. And that's, it's <clears throat> hard to remember to move it all of the time. Um, but it's um, definitely kind of, I feel like has us focusing on being helpful and gratitude and, and connecting with each other. And it's been very sweet. Mm. Um, so the next question I have for you is what's been bringing you peace? And again, could be personal, could be professional, but how are you moving through this season with peace? I guess I would say, um, got a good book tip from Bridget and Dave in the seminar they gave this fall, that book rest. I don't know if that was you or David that mentioned that book, but um, I ordered it like right there on the spot on Amazon. And I was like, ah, that's speaking to me. Like I need to be more intentional about rest. Now I admit I have like ADD with books lately. I'm about halfway through it, but I will finish it. Um, but it's just been a good wake up call. Like, yeah, when you're tired, sleep, like don't push through getting those charts done. And when it's the weekend and you know, maybe a nap is calling, like maybe I'll do that more. And I, I have been more intentional with that and that's felt really good. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a piece or just a, you know, nap response to your question, Grace, but that's felt good for me to just be a little more like, all right, gonna have to go 80 miles an hour 24 seven. I think I might need this here book in my life. Um, I'm like, wait a minute. But you know, that speaks to like listening to your body, right? Like you're talking about listening to your body. And that kind of goes along with what I was thinking too when Grace asked the question um, was just believing people, what has brought me peace is believing that people are what they show me they are. 
Um, I think that I've come to realize there is for me these times where I'm like, okay, no, like they're this way or they're that way, or this is happening or that is happening and can create my own narratives and the need to just let the narratives go and believe good, bad, or indifferent, believe people for what they show me who they are. And that actually has brought me more peace because it's been less expectations um, of other people. So that has really been bringing me a lot of peace here lately to just like, no expectations for folks, accept them as they come, believe who they are. Yeah, that's, it's interesting, Monica, that you bring that up. Because uh, one of the things that we did talk about in the retreat in Nepal that I went to, uh, was about so many of the things that we get ourselves riled up about really is due to, you know, some type of discomfort in your own self. And are you rallying yourself up and trying to conquer conquer somebody else's universe when you haven't conquered your own. Not that I don't know if there's ever such thing as conquering your own universe, but at least maybe getting more familiar with your own universe. But just think about like how messy our own universe is. And then to try to change somebody else, it's trying to conquer somebody else's universe. And so that's just been rattling around in my brain, maybe in a very, kind of in a similar way where if there is an expectation that I'm having of, of anyone or anything, that it's like, this might be more to do with you being wrapped up in your expectations and you may or may not be shoving them onto somebody else. And maybe instead of taking all that energy and effort on trying to change somebody else, why don't you be responsible, you know, for your response um, internally. So that's been, that's been helpful, especially being in a leadership role. Uh, I definitely have a long way to go to practice in that, but uh it's a good start. It's lots, it's lots of practicing along the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that bridges so much of the personal and the professional for me. Um, you know, this, this practicing of acceptance. And I was working with one of my students the other day, my supervisees, and they were talking about, well, this patient is just like, everything's going wrong. Everything was falling apart. And they're like, what can I do? And how can I, like, I'm not doing enough for them. And I was like, oh, we have to find the edges of what we can do and we have to navigate that and in, in this parallel process of acceptance in ourselves and facilitating acceptance for our patients and i just i I've, I've worked so hard and i think the thing that really has brought me a lot of peace over the last few years especially of like grief and change and a lot of things happening that have been out of my control has been this imagery of, you know, just kind of being in those waves and instead of trying to fight them, instead of trying to, you know, push against them or control them to experience them and that kind of open-handedness um, that we have about the things that come our way and that we don't have to fix everything and, and, and because we can't. And so that struggle, just what you're saying, it's our, it's our engagement with it. It's our, it's our attempts to, to stop it or to change it or to push it that brings us so much suffering a lot of the times. Yeah. I, I think what you're saying about was, it was a medical resident, I'm assuming. Oh, no, it was one of my uh, behavioral. Oh, behavioral. Yeah. That it's almost like in the beginning, A, we're a lot younger, depending on the majority of folks that go into 
when you're going to become a clinician, although, you know, there's folks that are later career, but a big chunk are uh, fresh out and they haven't, depending on the context, maybe haven't done a lot of internal work. So, you know, you're getting your self-worth through somebody else getting better. And that's just a really dangerous predicament. And I do think that with experience, maybe age, I'm not sure exactly. uh, uh, You do get to this point where it's like, you know, the majority of us, we're not going to be really thrown off that if a patient, you know, doesn't follow the treatment plan or whatever, we're not like thrown off, but folks who are more novice in it, or maybe not necessarily novice, maybe haven't learned that skill. They're so wrapped up in it that it's a reflection of themselves. And so then there's this desperation and they, you know, they do want to help the person, but if you really go deep, it could be feelings of inadequacy that's coming up on their part. And again, we all do this for the record. I just think that if you're aware of it and you work on it and you've had some time, maybe with some wisdom, uh, you can kind of catch it a little sooner. Yeah. Uh, and I think but- for, for this supervisee, some of it was an acknowledgement of the depth of this person's pain. So this was like some hospital work that they were doing and they were going in to see this patient who has all of these health problems and is grieving that they've lost two children and is like coming to terms with their approaching the end of their own life and all of this. And my intern was just like, what can I possibly do for this person? And you know, we reflected and we spent some time talking about just the sacredness of being able to enter into that space with that person and to, to connect to them and to listen to their story. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's, there's so many things you can do. And none of them involve fixing the problems. (laughs) None of them involve taking away the suffering that this person has had. Um, and, And I'm so sorry if I gave you the impression that that's the job that you're here to do, because that is not the case. And so I think like acknowledging that was really powerful. And so she was nervous. Uh, she was like, I'm, I'm gonna go see this person okay like when she had had the the report from the resident and the consult she was like okay she kept looking at me like are you sure are you and I was like yep go do it you know what to do maybe and waiting she, for an out like yes and I was like out, tap no. in. And, and I'll tell you it was a bit hard for me as a supervisor I was like should I go with her should I model it for her should I like do that whatever but I was like nope I've coached her. She knows what to do. I've seen her practice. Like she is new, but she's not brand new. And so I was like, go do it. And she came back and she was like, that was really good. And I was like, yes. Yeah. I was actually going to say, I think it's, you know, when thinking about, um, is it like age, maturity, like what is it that people find? I think it might be a combination. I think, you know, the other piece of that is experience, right? So like her getting to do that and kind of leaning into it. Um, I remember this uh, one time, this pastor at a church knew that I was a clinician. This was in my earlier days, but um, knew that I was a clinician and asked me, would I lead this special church service? And I was like, what? And the church, like, like, I'm a clinician. I don't think you really want me to be trying to tell nobody about like Jesus or like, I don't, I don't think I'm your girl. I didn't go to school for that. Um but it, but then he was like, well, let's just meet about it. Like, let's just meet about it. And when we met, the whole service was basically for people who were grieving and like, you know, lost children and all of this. And I was like, no one's coming. Like, it's the holiday time. No one's coming to this. Like, this is sad and depressing. Are you sure? I'm like, are you sure this is good? Like, you've done this? And he's like, yeah, like people love it. People look forward to it, da, da, da. And it was my first time of really like, leaning in instead of feeling like um 
we need to fix or um, no, 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 like they just need to be happy. And so we only need to talk or say happy thing, right? Like it was the first time of like, no, I, like we're going to all be together. We just going to lean into the grief that's happening. Um, and I think without that, that experience really shifted things for me at a young, you know, at the earlier years. So I think sometimes it's, sometimes it is age maturity and sometimes it's having the opportunity for those different type of experiences that shift your, your thinking around some things. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's, for me, as a medical background, it's CFHA and with people like you, like I didn't have a culture of folks that would talk this way of like, you are helping by just listening. It's like, what? That's not in the, you know, ICD-10 fix it culture, you know, prescribe something to fix that. And I think that was what I mean, a lot of us are kind of, you know, taught and and didn't really hold space for the other ways that were helpful. And we so are in primary care. And that's just something new that I never was really exposed to or internalized as something I could do for people um, until knowing you all the last couple of years. So that that's been a real gift (laughs) for me as a clinician, um, leaning into those tough things and just listening. Maybe we are good gift givers and we didn't even know it. Yeah. You know, I imagine... I imagine there's someone listening who needs to hear something I say all the time is at its core, you are a person sitting across from another person and holding their suffering, holding space with them and connection with them and seeing their humanity and reflecting that back to them. And what I always say to my learners is, you know how to do that. And if there's a, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, I don't know. And I don't know. And I don't know that you know how to do. And that is what we need to come back to, like that that human connection. And that's why, I mean, we probably need to have a whole episode on artificial intelligence, but that's why I don't think the AI and robots are coming for our jobs because there's a soul and there is a, there's something more about being that human connection. And I, Bridget said in the, in the chat, that's the healing process. And that is, yeah. It's sad that like within, I, I think things are changing now with there being a bigger role of behavioral scientists, as well as other physicians who have a little bit more training, you know, and Jen, I know that like, we're like, oh yes, you know, I'm glad that you learned some of that, but that like, that kills me that you were just out there as a physician doing your thing with like almost nobody talking about that. And like, just kind of thinking about the weight of carrying that. And, you know, back to Monica's point, like we don't know exactly in the equation that helps us get to that point, but I would imagine that experience as well as a culture, as well as training is a big part of that and things that we just kind of think, Oh, well, I just kind of came that to, to my, came to that on my own. If you go back into like, you know, I'm a psychologist in the psychology process through grad school, like we did a lot of that work that Grace is talking about. And that's just, I don't know, that just like kind of kills me a little bit that there's fantastic physicians out there and other professionals that are doing everything they can for their their communities and carrying that weight that they have to fix everything. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's just kind of sobering. Yeah. It's it's sad. I'm sure that contributes to that burnout of I can't do this anymore, right? I'm I'm not succeeding. I'm, you know, falling behind and people aren't getting better when, you know, chronic conditions, we're not curing anything, we're managing things. And I don't know, that's just going back to that peace part of it, right? Like feeling at peace with what's the finish line or what's the win managing and that peace on what you guys have taught me 
um, functionality, right? It's not just PHQ-9 score. It's, hey, are you back at work? Are you going to the, you know, basketball game since your anxiety is better? Like that part has really opened my eyes and being able to have conversations with people of like, oh, okay, maybe we are getting somewhere with your depression, anxiety. It's, and again, measurement-based care is great. Don't get me wrong. I think the science and data is important, but just also that human piece of like, Tell me about that, what that means for you. <laughs> what is the, yes, the Zoloft works. Why? How is that working? That's been a real um, nice tool for my toolkit. That's where the meaning comes in. And, and I think that rolls me into the last question that I have for us today is where you, what gives you hope? Either what's giving you hope or what are you hoping for in 2024? And I, and I think that's one of those pieces for me, seeing the change. I mean, I feel like in the 10 years next this next summer I will have been in my role for 10 years which is wild to me first of all I have hope that I'm going to finish my PSLF and get the rest of my student loans forgiven that's happening this spring and I'm looking forward to that um but second of all just even the changes that I've seen in medicine and medical education in these 10 years in our attention to meaning making, our attention to community, our attention to connection um, gives me so much hope um, for the future of medicine and the future of our communities and our world. For 2024, our program, what we're doing with integration, it's going to be a neat cycle to see us kind of post-launch, like training wheels off. We've been at it a couple of years. It's far from perfect, but now we have a chance to kind of look back and be like, all right, maybe we caught our breath with workflows and, you know, the newness, and now we can really kind of fine tune things. I'm really excited just to see how we can improve on what we have and maybe branch out a more and do a little more with pediatrics and, um, you know, kind of going back to our roots of like, all right, you know, we've, we've done some perinatal stuff and how is that going? We just get so fixated on like the moment to moment, like launch care that it's like, it's going to be neat to kind of come into a place of maybe more stability and, and a chance to just make it a little bit better. So I'm excited for what, <laughs> what this future year holds for the work. Yeah. I think like Grace, you said about, there could be some downfalls, obviously to technology and some scary aspects, but one of the things that's a positive is how quickly information is available in all the different mediums and forms you know, from, from audiobooks to podcasts uh, to um, just the connectivity that exists now, largely uh, due to technology. And like, if there, if you want a course on this or you want, like you can, you can get it at your fingertips. And so it gives me hope that uh, we can just continue to learn from all of the different fields and be better for it. Uh, and yeah, it's just kind of exciting of like, oh, well, I want to do this thing. Well, I bet somebody's already done some of that and maybe you don't have to start from scratch. That's kind of a, you know, it's a cool, cool way to think about things. Yeah. I think for me, I continue to get hope when we're having these conversations, when the things that kind of recharge me, I see things changing. And again, it's not perfect and there's no end, right? Like understanding that this isn't an end. It's just, you're continuously evolving. But when I look at, kind of where things have been before with integrated care. And I could see the changes that have happened and the new people who are getting into the field. When I'm starting to see those who are more in specialty behavioral health, also talking about integrated care and how it just, that's the stuff that gives me hope. Like, okay, people are getting it, however slow, however other hiccups come along the way. Um, but like, okay, people are getting it. 
um, and having the conversations. And I'm always appreciative of individuals willing to lean in and have those conversations. So I agree with you that these conversations and being a part of this group definitely gives me hope when I look at um, the leaders that we have and the voices represented here and you, my friends. And I also look at friends that I have, um, you know, that I, that I graduated with and the influence that's, that's happening. It gives me a lot of hope. I think about, you know, we need people and positions of leadership who get it, who, who get the need for community, who get the need for connection and this like whole person and whole family care. And uh, it makes me really excited thinking about that triple trickle down and kind of exponential influence when we're working at um in positions where we're working with a lot of people or with learners or with systems um it's just really powerful so and you can uh, see that change right like in when I think of leadership and the images that I initially had it was like all white males right like it's all white males in leadership and you look at it's the four of us um, on here, ladies day, night, because, you know, can't sing ladies night, ladies day, you know, but I look at that kind of stuff, like things are changing, even when it seems like maybe things are not. And sometimes we get really frustrated in our jobs when we maybe feel like we're having 51st dates with someone about what is integrated care and what we're doing. Um, you know, it's important to kind of say it's been some small steps, but it's been steady change, um, even if it's been small, steady change. And so um, even just seeing us on here, it's like, all right, yeah. My plan B for today, maybe I'll, I'll keep this in my back pocket for next time Neftali is not available, was but to talk about what it's like to be a woman in leadership and women in leadership and integrated care. Um, so we'll we'll save that for next time or maybe we'll just not invite him to one month and we'll have that conversation. <laughs> That'll be a good one. We'll, uh, gloves come off. <laughs> that uh, bleep thing, right? The... <laughs> whatever that sensor we'll, we'll need kevin to have our backs with the editing i'm sure i know we've been so tame I know. you gotta get us riled up uh well thank you guys so much for your voices today and your friendship and this time and thank you so much to all of our listeners you know we are coming to the end of another year of just having the opportunity to podcast and it's such an opportunity and such a gift to be able to have these conversations and to share them with our listeners and with our community. And none of that would happen if no one was listening. So we appreciate that so much. Um, and we appreciate the ways that you continue the conversations on the listserv, the ways that you continue to share um, these thoughts. So uh, we will end the way we always do. Deepu has a closing for us for today. It's a blessing from John O'Donohue for the end of the year. So Begin its call at the end of the year. The particular mind of the ocean filling the coastline's longing with such brief harvest of elegant vanishing waves is like the mind of time opening us shapes of days. As this year draws to its end, we give thanks for the gifts it brought and how they became inlaid within where neither time nor tide can touch them. The days when the veil lifted and the soul could see delight, when a quiver caressed the heart in the sheer exuberance of being here. Surprises that came awake in forgotten corners of old fields, 
where expectations seem to have quenched. The slow, brooding times when all was awkward and the wave in the mind pierced every sore with salt. The darkened days that stopped the confidence of the dawn, days when beloved faces shone brighter with light from beyond themselves and from the granite of some secret sorrow a stream of buried tears loosened. We bless this year for all we learned, for all we loved and lost, and for the quiet way it brought us nearer to our invisible destination. Thank you, Deepu. Thank you to my co-hosts for being here with me. Thank you to our listeners. And we hope that you close this year with gratitude and joy and hope. We'll see you next month.